0: Today, on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast.
1: A big part of it that we have to understand, and one of the things about the SARS family of viruses, and especially SARS CoV 2, is the mechanics of it are a little different than, say, an influenza virus, which is close but not the same, or an adenovirus or one of these other viruses. They all do these little tricky things to get in your cells and infect you. But with SARS, and especially with SARS-CoV-2, what happens is they have extraordinary ways of getting to the cell, and then they do a switching where they switch the chemistry of immune invasion to make you a better target.
0: What's up, guys? We have a really special episode for you today on long-haul COVID. We're gonna go through things like, what do long-haul COVID and chronic fatigue syndrome have in common? How can you reduce your risk of long-haul COVID? And what are the ingredients your immune system needs to work? We're gonna talk about supplements, which ones work, which ones don't. And we're gonna do a deep dive into some ones you may have heard of, like vitamin C, quercetin. Should you take them and why? You'll learn a ton from Dr. Anderson and I'm so thrilled that he joined us today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Dr. Paul Anderson is a recognized integrative and functional medicine practitioner who specializes in complex chronic illness and cancer care. In addition to three decades of clinical experience, Dr. Anderson also has experience as the head of the research arm of a US NIH-funded human research study on IV therapeutics in cancer patients. He founded Advanced Medical Therapies in Seattle, and now focuses his time collaborating with clinics and hospital systems across the world to advance the care of patients with complex chronic illnesses and cancer. Dr. Anderson also spends a ton of time educating clinicians and I myself have taken some of his amazing courses. You will love today's episode if you are someone who's looking to figure out how to make sure your immune system works well, how to stay resilient against any infection, and how to bounce back if you get one. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. You see, lab testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're spending a ton of time placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. With Rupa Health, the sponsor of the Root Cause Medicine podcast, you can do all this easily and for free. If you're a root cause medicine practitioner, make sure you go sign up for your free account at rupahealth.com today. While you're there, you can check out our other amazing tools, like the meal plan generator and lab shops, which allows you to deliver labs seamlessly alongside an online course. Now, let's dive into it. Dr. Paul Anderson, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I'm so glad you're here. You have a really cool practice where you empower people living with complex chronic illnesses and cancer to use cutting-edge tools to heal. You did not start out to educate the world about coronaviruses, but for the last few years, that's what you've been doing. Why is that?
1: The short version is that, no, I did not start out to do that at all. My practice really, with the very exception of the early couple of years, has always been two groups of people with very advanced chronic illness and then people generally with very advanced cancer, which is also in the chronic illness world. Certainly in those groups of people, there are viral problems, et cetera. We deal with viruses. But what happened, I believe, is early when COVID was starting to become more recognized, there were a few international medical groups that wanted somebody to speak on one of the therapies that they were doing in Wuhan, China in the hospital, which was intravenous vitamin C for people in the ICU. And I had a history of doing the US NIH funded research with vitamin C in patients with cancer, and they had known that I'd taught about that, et cetera. What turned out to be an international training, there was six, seven, eight thousand doctors on it. And then that sort of started this ball rolling of who can we get to talk about this? And then I started to be asked to do these things. And I went from doing zero interviews about COVID or any other chronic viral illness to up to 10 a week for the last number of years. That's really where it started. But I think more what's important is where it has led is to the two things that I'm most passionate about. One is trying to help patients who are in these situations where the standard system doesn't have a lot of maybe easy answers for them to get. And the other is to help practitioners find resources that maybe they didn't need to find in the past. So that's really added a lot to my life in the last few years.
0: I'm glad you're doing that education, and I'm glad you're here with us today. We're going to talk about long COVID today, and I want to ask you first, what exactly is long COVID? A lot of people might think they know, but the symptoms are actually pretty distinct. Can you tell us what it is?
1: I only smirk because if you ask everybody you ask and watch on an interview, they all have a different answer. The CDC has a particular group of symptoms that go together that they call long COVID, And then every publication alters those symptoms to a degree. And right now, one of the big arguments is, well, is long COVID really a distinct entity or is this something that we have always seen with bad viruses? For example, you could get some non-SARS related virus and you could be just as sick after that as you are with long COVID. Why the difference? The difference is we have this very compressed timeline where we have a lot of people get sick with the same virus or similar. And then we have a lot of people who don't, quote, get over it afterwards. You tend to get major organ systems involved. And they do, just to be fair to the, those who that like to disagree on TV shows and stuff, they do have predilections based on the type of variant that you had to start with. So in some of the earlier variants, we had people who would lose a sense of taste and smell, for example, and that was a really common problem that went into their long COVID. Now that can happen. I just talked to a patient yesterday or the day before where that was starting to happen and and we were able to make that stop happening, but it's not as common. Then you can get what we call constitutional symptoms, which would be feeling chronic pain or chronic fatigue feeling aggravations of things that you had before that weren't that big a deal. For example, maybe you were a, a little nervous constitution or you'd hardly sleep at night stuff. Now you're more nervous. It's much harder to get to sleep or you could fill in any other things. Are. There are other organic problems which are certainly of great concern. And those would be with the organs that like to keep us alive beyond the brain. The heart and the lungs are areas where you can have either inflammatory and or fibrotic problems, et cetera. The kidneys, much in the same way. We don't always think of the kidneys because they're not as they don't scream as loudly as the heart and the lungs when they have a problem, but the kidneys are certainly a big deal. And then the other thing and of course keeping in mind I'm keeping it to the shortest list possible is more of an autoimmune and auto inflammatory presentation where your whole body becomes essentially inflamed, almost like a polymyalgia where you could have a whole body pain syndrome or something of that nature. It can affect any area. It tends to affect more areas based on the type of variant that you had. And then it lingers. And the idea is if you've been three, four, five weeks past your original infection, and now you still have symptoms, they call it long COVID or post-acute COVID syndrome. It's a real thing. There are a lot of people right now in the medical world arguing it's not a real thing. And that's simply because it's not one thing for everybody. You and I may get COVID at the same time, but maybe I have lungs that had pre-existing conditions or are weaker. Your lungs are great. You're also a lot younger than I am. Maybe we come out of it and I have a respiratory thing that won't go away. And maybe you have headaches or you have fatigue or something like that. This doesn't make researchers real happy because then it's like, well, I have this entity and you guys have two different problems that you have. And we can talk about why that is, but that's basically the. Broad spectrum answer.
0: Just a never well since condition where, like, something happened to you and you've never been well since. And I think a lot of people can identify with that, either they themselves or they've heard about somebody who got COVID and just has never felt the same. And one of the things I think is so interesting is even on the CDC website, they talk about something called post exertional fatigue. And some of these articles even mention brain fog. And I think people are wondering, like, my God, I just feel like I don't have cellular energy anymore. I just feel like I'm so tired. Why is that? What's happening on a cellular level when people are having those symptoms after something like COVID?
1: Yeah. And especially when you get to uh, global symptoms like post-exertional fatigue or brain fog, as we like to call it, that is essentially either a body-wide or a system-wide problem. And The reason it happens gets to what we were leading up to before, which is why would you get one group of symptoms and I get another group and then my brother gets none of them? A big part of it that we have to understand, and one of the things about the SARS family of virus, and especially SARS-CoV-2, is the mechanics of it are a little different, than, say, an influenza virus, which is close, but not the same, or an adenovirus or one of these other viruses. They all do these little tricky things to get in your cells and infect you. But with SARS, and especially with SARS-CoV-2, what happens is they have extraordinary ways of getting to the cell, and then they do a switching where they switch the chemistry of immune invasion to make you a better target, they turn on a lot of chemistry that says, oh, let's overdo the inflammatory response, for example. That's great because that's built into us, but it's supposed to also shut off at a certain point. They have a way to keep the fire going. If we do that, what we know now through tons and tons of research is that then will go, To the very parts of your cell that make it work at its base level and completely rewrite the code of how it's supposed to work. There's tons of stuff in your cell that makes it work. But if you think of the two biggest things that make your cell be a normal acting cell, one is the mitochondria where we make our energy, and then the other is the nuclear membranes where we make our DNA and all of that and cell division. And it turns out that all of this excessive, imbalanced immunochemistry just beats up on those areas, and they don't come out the other side as healthy as possible. If you do that to your brain, and you do it in a certain part of your brain, you might not have a sense of smell or taste. If you do it in another part of your brain, you may just feel fatigued all the time. If you do it in all of the main cells in your body they just will turn down. It's like they're running in first gear all the time and you'll feel tired all the time. Or post-exertional fatigue, which most people now that we're talking to have probably had COVID at least once, if not multiple times. And I recall very distinctly the second time that I had it, going back and trying to do my regular workout, thinking I was better, I felt better. But the same workout that I could have done three weeks earlier had me Feeling like I had never worked out in my life. And I had to do these baby steps, like to get my conditioning back, which is basically what post exertional fatigue is. It's a huge thing. And it goes back to the fact that the virus and then all of these little chemical signaling things that the virus has these special genetics to turn on and keep going and all that, they change your cells in a way where your cells, you look like you, but you don't feel like you and you can't operate like you. The good news is it doesn't have to stay that way, but the bad news is that it stays that way longer than any of us want it to stay that way.
0: I almost feel like it's the year of the mitochondria, or maybe like the two or three years of the mitochondria. <laughs> it's dead, the decade of the mitochondria. Really? It's having its moment in the limelight. How many of us haven't heard the phrase, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? And then it's like you turn around and everyone's saying it. It makes sense why. You just explained why, right? If your mitochondria aren't working right, nothing works right. Exactly. You don't work right. Yeah. What can we do? What can be done about that mechanism you're talking about with the inflammation, mitochondrial damage, DNA damage, a reduced ability to produce energy in new cells? What are some of the things that we know, based on the evidence, work to help either interrupt those processes or reverse them and help people heal?
1: I think the best way I've sorted out to go through it is to make sure to talk about something that may be too late to do something about, but really needs to be in the discussion. And that is how we treat ourselves when we are sick acutely. Because although SARS-CoV-2 and any variant thereof does have these special ways of messing with our cells and doing all this stuff and our immune system, if you can do things that help your immune system have more of a normal response response while it is acutely in your body you tend to have less of these longer-term problems now that doesn't mean you're going to just get over it and feel great afterwards with patients a lot of time i'll ask if they ever had a very bad influenza like influenza a where you're sick for two or three weeks and you just you can't even think you're so sick you don't just stop having influenza a and feel better than on the third day plus one the third week plus one it takes you a while to dig out of that hole. That's what you're really going for. And a lot of people then will say, because I get interviewed about this a lot, well, a lot of good that did me. That It was three months ago that I had COVID, or a year ago. But let's just say, because there's new upwellings of new variants going on, the things that you can do that are helpful are just, in my mind, they're biologically little nudges that help to push your body And it's not that we want to turn on or turn off something completely. We just want the body to do the right thing. And just to make a really quick analogy, most people have this sense, I think, especially in the last three years of social media, that if we could just have this magic button on our immune system that turned it way on and we would just knock out the virus and be all gone, it wouldn't be a problem. The problem with that is that we don't want that. We already have that button that turns on. The problem with this type of virus is it tends to leave some of the things turned on too long. We want it to have a good upswing, do all of the antiviral stuff. That's when we feel the worst. And then we want it to slow itself down, come out the other end so we don't damage the normal parts of us. The way that we do that, if we're acutely ill, a lot of them are things that your grandma probably told you, but resting, resting more than you think you need to, hydrating, hydrating, There's even in the world of oncology with cancer, where we read a lot about this, but with virology too, if you don't have enough water moving in, you can't get water to the cells and then you can't get water in the cell to carry the junk out of the cell. A lot of these leftover chemicals need high amounts of hydration to move them in and out of the cell. So they do their job and then they leave. Hydration becomes excessively important. That's hard when you have a fever and you're not feeling well. Resting, hydrating, eating foods that give you the basics like electrolytes and some protein and nutrition, but are not a heavy load on the system. Again, think of grandma like chicken soup or something like that. That's easier to get in. Those are sort of a real core thing. And we also want to remember that the core things that we can do that we got to do every day we got to breathe, we got to hydrate, we've got to sleep, we got to do all stuff. Do those the best you can. The next level, though, humans do not make our own vitamin C. And that becomes terrifically important because there's three nutrients that keep your cells, remember we're talking about like this upswing of immunity and a downswing. There are three nutrients that help to control that upswing and that downswing. Two of them we can synthesize or hold on to in our body, but vitamin C, which is in the middle, we have no way to make on our own. We have to eat it or drink it or somehow get it into our body. And if we miss the vitamin C, both of the other ones that help to control go down, and the further they go down, the less regulated this natural immune response that we're all born with is. And this is why I think, however many years ago it was now, they were so interested in me talking about what they were doing at the Wuhan hospitals with just a continuous vitamin C infusion. They called it high, it do- really wasn't high dose. It was just a continuous infusion of vitamin C because they're like, These people are in an ICU and they're dying. Let's not let them run out of vitamin C. And it turned out less of those people died and all sorts of good things happened. A really wonderful thing is, A, you don't have to go to the hospital normally. B, vitamin C you can get in food. You can get in supplements very easily, et cetera. And it doesn't take a ton. And that's a deeper discussion. But if you just think that you have this critical three-part group to keep your immune system from doing the, the wrong thing, And as soon as you get sick, and this is in all the literature about acute illness, as soon as you get sick, the one in the middle, vitamin C, just goes away because I can't make any. If I don't put that back in, that is the first part. You could do all the other wonderful therapies in the world, but you're missing one of the most crucial parts, and it's the cheapest part too. And the reason I start with vitamin C is it's the one thing that you really can't get any other way. And then there's other stuff. And one of my concerns over time is Especially the North American way of thinking is, well, if a little bit is good, then a lot's got to be really good. And we did that a lot. And by we, I mean the media, where zinc came into it. Zinc, super important. It is water soluble. You do run through it in your body. But you don't need tons and tons of zinc every day. And what people were doing is they were forgetting there's all these other minerals that we need in our body. And they were getting these big doses of zinc. And then they became kind of zinc overloaded, which has other issues. What I told people from the beginning was just have a multi-mineral. that's just got a nice balance of everything. It'll take care of the sink. It'll take care of the other guys. That's going to be great. And just to go back to grandma again, one of the reasons why chicken soup or well-made vegetarian broth. I'm a cook, I do all these things, or any other thing. One of the reasons they're so healing is, is that the broth actually extracts the trace minerals out of whatever it is you're making your broth out of. And so it's another way, again, to get those base nutrients in.
0: And we need that. There's so many questions I have for you to dig deeper on what you just said, and hopefully everyone at home is taking notes. You mentioned that there's three antioxidant nutrients, and that vitamin C is the one we can't make and so that we have to take. I want you to talk to us about the other two. What are those? Why do we need to care about those as well? And then I'd also love you to just explain for somebody at home who feels like a skeptic and they're like, I've heard about vitamin C and it helps with immunity, but what does that actually mean? Can we walk them through the antioxidant action of vitamin C and why it's so helpful in conditions like this?
1: Yes to everything. Let's start with the other two in the three-part group. One of the reasons I like to start there is this is the way that our cells have evolved, and this is the way that the cells protect themselves, but also it's not as much Now, sometimes. You get a bad bacterial infection or a parasite or something, you're actually trying to kill the invader. That's a different kind of immune activity. With a virus, the invader takes you over your cell, and then turns you into a reproductive organ of itself. You're trying to stop that, but you don't want to kill all that because you're going to kill some of yourself. You've got different levels of immunology. When it comes to these three molecules that take care of us at the level of the cells, when we don't have any invaders, they just take care of our normal daily inflammation. When I go out and I go for a hike, I create some inflammation in my body. It's part of the healing process and it's part of the training, et cetera. If I eat something and it doesn't chemically agree with me, I trigger some inflammation. We've always got inflammation. Vitamin C is in the middle. Vitamin C is water-soluble. And we hear about, well, you can't take too much vitamin C because you'll just urinate it out every day, which to a degree is true. The vitamin C is water-soluble. It has a friend, glutathione. That is three amino acids put together. Everybody now has heard about glutathione. and acetylcysteine that one amino we talked about, is in the middle of glutathione. It's one of the reasons it's so helpful. But glutathione can be made by the human body and it can be recycled as long as we have what we need to recycle it. Vitamin C can't be made by the human body, but they have to work together. But then we have to think about we are both water-soluble and fat-soluble organisms, Fat-soluble would be like your cell membranes and other fatty molecules like your cholesterol, et cetera. Who's hanging out in there? We can't put a water-soluble molecule in there and have it work. That's the vitamin E, like Edward family, and they're called tocopherols, or the bigger grouping of chemistry is called tocotrienols, which are a little more elaborate chemicals that probably do a little bit more. In food, you would tend to get a mixture of tocotrienols and tocopherols. But the TOCO family, the vitamin E family, those are for fat-soluble places. The important part about these is they're not three things in isolation working in three separate offices or something. They talk to each other all the time. And if I don't have enough vitamin E family, I can't recycle vitamin C and glutathione. Same with if I don't have enough vitamin C, I can't recycle glutathione and draw vitamin E because they're all taking care of re-reducing each other. What I want in an antioxidant is it has two states, can be oxidized or reduced. If I have used it to take away oxidation, it is now oxidized and it's sitting there, it can't help me anymore. But then its friend, vitamin C, glutathione, whatever, can come along and re-reduce it, and now it's ready to go again. If it's in my fatty tissues, and it's the tocopherols, the vitamin E, glutathione or vitamin C could go over, re-reduce it, good to go. If it's water-soluble, glutathione or vitamin C uh, could do it, and there's actually a way vitamin E could do it. And the reason that I'm so big on people understanding those three is there's lots of other really cool antioxidants in the world, and they tend to be really expensive supplements, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But it's like, why don't we take care of the way the body is supposed to work first? This is literally the foundation. And then if we need more help, we can put more in, and it won't fall through a system that doesn't have any base.
0: I'm going to ask you what those are, Dr. Anderson. (laughs) I probably need to give you more breaks to take a drink of water or something, but I'm so fascinated with what you're saying and I'm so grateful. I think you have a really nice way of teaching this that breaks it down into some really digestible components. When you're talking about those three different types of support, cell membrane, mitochondria, nucleus, what are those different types of support?
1: I think if there's maybe one silver lining that was unintended with COVID, there's been a lot more exposure of natural products, et cetera, that kind of target these areas. Maybe not broken down that way, but I think we hear about things more and more that might be helpful for those things. When we move beyond the basics, remember there's the hygienic basics, which is sleeping, eating, all that. Then there's the non-negotiables. I got to get vitamin C back in you. I probably got to get minerals back in you. And again, if we had our druthers, some NAC and maybe some bioflavonoids. But then what comes next? Let's just work from the outside of the cell in. you got cell membrane. Now, human cells and mammals, other types of animals, most of them, don't have cell walls. Plants have cell walls. We have cell membranes. These are very dynamic, and we don't think of them like as a box, like a wooden box. You think of them almost like if you had a a football that the air was let a little bit out, you can squeeze it, move it. That is a dynamic phospholipid bilayer, they call it. But basically what it means is it's got a piece of it that's water-soluble and a piece that's fat-soluble. And it is a defense mechanism that will hold on to lots of toxic junk and inflammation, but also, if that cell membrane stops working, then you no longer can get nutrients inside your cell and get junk out of your cell and do the business of whatever that cell's supposed to do. Things that help that outside of the cell. That is where things like you hear about omega-3 oils. They started mostly as fish oils. Now there's non-animal-based omega oils. The omega oils are heavily incorporated in the fat parts there. Also, there are chemicals that are made within the human body, but you can also take extra of them that are called phospholipids. And common ones would be like phosphatidylcholine. If you hear a word and it says phosphatidyl and then some other word, that's just the phospholipid. And we make them inside our body so we can rebuild ourselves. If you beat on the cell for six months or two years, you got long COVID and all this inflammation... Your cell will hold together, but it's like somebody comes to your house every day and turns a torch on and burns some of your paint and then hits it with an axe and does other stuff. Your house is still there, but it's not like original equipment. The omegas go to one part of the cell membrane and are super helpful for a number of reasons. Then the phospholipids go to a different part adjacent. And they're super helpful for other reasons. What we tend to do with folks supplementally is to get them on, say, and usually an omega-3, it might be a mixture of omegas supplement, and then a phospholipid supplement. Now, anybody listening who might be older than 50 may remember their parents or grandparents eating lecithin, love granules every morning, right? That was a big health food store thing. Well, it turns out that was probably one of the smarter things that people ever did because lecithin is just a mixture of phospholipids. And it was way cheaper than the supplements we have now. And people would throw it in with their wheat bran or whatever and eat it. There's not just one phospholipid. Your body has this ability to make all these cool ones and they do different cool things. Some people still take lecithin for that or mixed phospholipids. You'll see those as supplements. Phosphatidylcholine is the main one by bulk. Usually that's what you see as a supplement nowadays, but some sort of phospholipid, some sort of omega. That's the outside. There's other stuff on the outside that has to do with detoxifying and other things we talk about later. But then if we move to the inside, there's a couple of processes that are very important to keep the mitochondria and the nucleus happy and getting them healthy again. One is they also have these membranes as well. Everything we do to the outside of the cell will help the inside of the cell and the better those membranes work the better everything else is going to work we can heal it up now it's a little harder because the mitochondria and the nucleus do their own very very high level business either making energy or producing proteins or producing whatever the cell is supposed to produce they have big energy demands and this is where medically then we get into the first level of medical observation that should be done in long COVID, and it's not the most important. It's just for the purposes of this story we're telling, this is what comes next. Your hormones tell the receptors on the outside of the cell, but especially the receptors on the inside with the mitochondria and the nucleus, how fast to run, how fast to do repair, all that. Guess what? and there is tons of research on this. What I'll tell people in interviews is there's so much research you can't even imagine about so many of these things. And I believe the only people who have ever read a lot of it are the people who wrote the papers and me and maybe five other people, because it's like there are entire papers written on just COVID and how it messes your hormones up. Do you think, well, is it some evil plot? No, no, it's just, we already have a hard time in medicine managing hormones as it is. Now we've got a virus that throws them all off and we already don't know what to do with them when they would get thrown off. And I'm not saying everyone doesn't know. It. I'm just saying that's the way it goes. It's like, can we just not look at that as a problem? If you think about it and you just look, really keeping it super basic, thyroid hormone is what makes our metabolic rate. Well, it does that because it goes in And it tells the nucleus of the cell and the mitochondria how fast to run. If our brain decides we need to slow our metabolism down, it will slow that down. If our brain decides we need to speed it up, it will speed that up. When we get a viral or other infectious illness, there's an upswing initially, so we can get a fever and all of that. But then there's supposed to be a calming down period where it calms down afterwards. What would happen if we suddenly had a virus that was a little bit too good at poking those little buttons to turn that on, and we get a big upswing and then just shut things down? The cell is just going to sit there and say, I'm not getting any signals to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and be tired. That's a big one. Your stress hormones, they're the relatives related to cortisol from your adrenals, also, and all these guys crosstalk. They more go to the nuclear part and say, hey, if you're a cell that's supposed to make estrogen or testosterone, or you're a cell that is supposed to make muscle cells or whatever, do it. Let's get on it here. If those get turned down as well, you're not going to do it. And then the outside of the cell has a plethora of other things that go on too. When you think about it and you start to think about it, it makes a lot of sense. We've been damaging the paint to the house First, let's get the guys away who are damaging the pain. Next, let's reprime everything or reside the house. Let's repaint it. We can do that. That's membrane management. Then we got these hormonal triggers. Let's check and see how messed up they are. And there are ways to do this. Again, it's just they're not common in general. Like you take a healthy person Generally speaking, there's no way in the world any sane doctor is going to take a super healthy person and check them for these really bizarrely functional thyroid hormone or adrenal hormone things because they're not going to have them. Long COVID people don't have robust health. This is the time we use those tests. You do have to test because some people, that's not the problem. And some people, it's a huge problem. And then you have need some intervention. They need someone to do something about those hormone problems. But then the final, not really the final, but because we don't have 14 hours to talk about it, you then have to remember that I'm fixing the membranes everywhere. That's super important. I'm fixing these antioxidant, but really immunomodulatory substances like we talked about, super important. Let's say for the sake of argument, either you fix the hormone thing or it didn't need to be fixed, whatever. But then you still have these two super energy demanding areas, the mitochondria and the nucleus of your cell. And they don't just operate off magic. Believe it or not, they work. They're very elegant in the way they work. They're not the simplest thing in the world, but they're very elegant in the way they work. And they work based on organic molecules that have to fit in together and talk to each other.
0: I love this. I'm taking notes and I'm wondering at this point, people are probably thinking, okay, I have my list of 12 nutrients or supplements or interventions that Dr. Anderson talked about, how would I go about figuring out how much I need to take? How often? When do I stop?
1: A good thing about nutrients is, for many of them, it's very hard to harm a person with nutrients. There are differences with fat-soluble nutrients. They do build up in the body, which is why we all say, if you're going to do A, D, E, and K, those are the fat-soluble ones or maybe even super long-term use of high-dose fish oil or something. You should probably have someone helping you, guide you along. If you're taking most B vitamins, most minerals, amino acids, it's harder really to build up and create harm there. The first thing that I would say is the most important part of all of this, in my mind and clinically what I see is balance. With the exception of the acutely ill person who a lot of vitamin C maybe would be more helpful or a lot more zinc or a lot more whatever. Outside of the acute model, what we're dealing with the rest of it is repair and recovery. And that is a long game. One of the things that one can do is, and I can't, none of us here can give medical advice on media. I always tell people if you're taking medical advice from somebody on YouTube or somewhere, you're getting the wrong medical advice probably. But The first thing that you can do, let's just say, worst case scenario, you're in the middle of nowhere. You have no access to anybody who has any training in this. And this is not at all a slam on any practitioner anywhere. My family is full of very straight ahead, allopathic standard practitioners. And we all love each other and it's all great. But we also all realize that, I am not going to go to some of them to ask them about how to dose zinc or something like that normally. And they are not going to come to me to ask me how much radiation to give somebody for something like that. It's just the way medicine is. But you could have a primary care doctor, but they don't have time to come to speed here. The first advice I give people if they're in that situation, which is a very real situation, is the internet has one of every answer you could possibly get. And many of them are not good. There are very good safety-based but also research-based platforms. And a lot of them are university-based. The first thing I look for is a university-based platform. I grew up in Oregon. I do mix Mixtera uh, universities up. I believe it's the Oregon State University Department of Nutrition has the Linus Pauling Center. I actually studied most of my chemistry at the Linus Pauling Center, and it was in Oregon, but it was so long ago. God knows where that was. But if you look up Oregon State Linus Pauling, they have a website that has more information than any human could ever amass just about the studies and the safety and all of that stuff. And they have summaries. If you want to keep yourself out of trouble, places like that, at least it's legit scientists, and they will tell you These are the times when you shouldn't take this supplement, or this is the time when, if you're on these sort of drugs, do not take this unless you've spoken to your neurologist about it or something like that. Things like that. But also in more modern times, places like Cornell and Duke and other places have some really wonderful resources, especially disease specific resources. Let's say you had multiple sclerosis and you're looking at nutrient advice specific for MS patients, you can, again, search university and then multiple sclerosis nutrient advice. And again, keep in mind, it's going to be very conservative, but that's going to keep you out of trouble. Okay. But if you can find help on top of that, and you can find a practitioner, and now one thing COVID did was it did open up a lot of the barriers that we had against telemedicine and other stuff, and now it's a little easier to get a hold of people online do your due diligence on folks, but just work with somebody who can have that top-down approach for you. Because there literally are, if we think of this arc we talked about from the acute COVID experience to maybe nothing going on to maybe long COVID, then maybe your hormones are messed up or whatever it is. There are different times where you need maybe a different set of eyes on that situation so that you're not just pouring not only good money after bad stuff you don't need, but also, let's maybe put our efforts into something that's going to help us right now, which may be something totally different. That's the order I would go in. And the, the easiest is if down the street you have a integrated practitioner and they're really good at this stuff and you can get an appointment with them, that makes it even easier.
0: Now, you said integrated practitioner, and I'll put a plug in here for someone who is maybe like Institute for Functional Medicine trained or a naturopathic doctor or a functional RD, someone who has studied functional or integrative medicine. And Dr. Anderson, feel free to add to what I'm saying here, but if you guys are thinking, well, who does know about this stuff? Where would I even start? Those practitioners generally study medicine the way Dr. Anderson's talking about it, where they're actually thinking about what does a cell need to function?
1: That's a good point. There are groups. Like IFM, Institute for Functional Medicine, or A4M, or ACAM, or there's other acronyms. And normally they'll have a Find a Practitioner service through their website. On my YouTube channel, on most of the long form YouTubes, I moved all of my podcast stuff just over to YouTube because that's what the world was doing a while ago. In the description box on most of them, especially the ones around long COVID and all these more modern sort of topics, I have lists of URLs of different specialty societies that would be whatever you might need. So it could be IFM or it could be the naturopathic specialty in gastro GI problems or the specialty in oncology or whatever. And it's not exhaustive, but that's a really easy way to find those sorts of resources. And it's not that everybody on the list is at an equal level or any of that stuff. It's a list of people who are interested and they're interested in learning. And a lot of times you can call the office and say, I'm dealing with this. And they might say, our practice goes in this direction, but we have a colleague who does what you're looking for. And they can shorten up months worth of you searching. We'll put my YouTube address somewhere and just go in the description box. There's lots of links in there.
0: I'm so glad you've done that. It's so interesting. And guys, here's why we're telling you this. Different doctors do different things, just like you heard Dr. Anderson say, different docs have different specialties. You would not go to a nephrologist if your big toe hurt. A nephrologist deals with the kidneys. In the same way, you should not go to an MD who has only ever had one hour of nutrition training and does a really good job of doing maybe urgent care or acute care, stitching people up, making sure that they don't have broken bones, and ask them to talk to you about CoQ10 because they've never had training in it. They do not get that in medical school. It's not part of the curriculum. You have to know where to look. And the brilliant thing is we need all of us. You need the guy at urgent care, you need the nephrologist, but you also need a functional medicine doctor or an integrated practitioner. If you want somebody to look at your whole person and your cellular health. I wanna to talk to the people at home who either know someone with chronic fatigue or have it themselves who are thinking, Geez, all the symptoms you guys talked about in the beginning sounded a lot like me. Even on the CDC website, they say the symptoms of long COVID are similar to those reported by people with ME, CFS. Dr. Anderson, you treat people with those syndromes all the time. Why are they similar?
1: Yes, they're incredibly similar. And this is something, I have to be a little careful how you phrase it, because I've been part of the ME, CFS and the fibromyalgia and other... Mystery on this community for a long time. And one of the things that's happening is that people imagine if you have been gaslit by your, your doctors for 40 years saying you don't have a real disease, multiple chemical sensitivity, MECFS, whatever that's in your, you're crazy. Now all of a sudden we have a concentrated time period where we have created the exact same disease pretty much. A whole bunch of people and they're mad. On mass, and they're getting a lot of media attention, and now people are saying that might be a real disease, but whatever you have, you have to be sensitive about that. And by sensitive, I mean you were right before you were being gaslit if you had chronic fatigue or whatever, and that's what a lot of the medical community is going to try and do to long COVID patients. And I actually did research in this area too, and I ran a clinic that was primarily devoted to chronic fatigue MECFS ME-CFS patients. The only reason that we had any success with those patients is that we treated them the exact same way that I just described to you to treat long COVID patients. We realized underneath there are cellular injuries. The cell injuries might have been viruses, they may have been other infections, or they may have been other things that were not infectious, but it still broke the system. The outside of the house is banged up, the inside of the house ain't working, and you can't get any energy out of the system, so you feel horrible. It's the same fix. It's just maybe different triggers going on. And my real hope, and trying to put a positive spin on it, is the fact that we've had people crying out for someone to listen to them about ME-CFS or fibro or whatever for so long. And now we have this entity that is a very close cousin that's getting a lot more press is that maybe this will wake medicine up in a way where they decide this is not a one pill one fix problem we have to work as teams we have to figure out how to work as teams because we don't do that quite so well and then maybe we can help more of these people and the one thing that i have seen that has given me any internal ray of sunshine be it very small is publications about how to assess and treat long COVID are now starting to come out and say, we have to do this assessment and treatment in a holistic manner, which was very rarely ever done before. And a holistic manner means looking at all the parts of me that can be healthy or sick. And if there's 20 things I look at and 11 of them are sick, I got to treat all 11 of them. That means my team has to be bigger. We're finally seeing papers saying, hey, we can't just look at this as if this isn't here, they don't have this problem. We have to look at how's that person work, how much of it is broken, and how many of us do we need to throw into the mix to try and fix all these problems. I'm seeing that being talked about, and I do think long-term it will help the MECFS community. There's nothing you can undo about the way that group of people has been gaslit, and really the entire chronic illness community, how they've been gaslit. But that doesn't mean that can't be an agent for change. And Again, I see that as a positive.
0: And I know you and other doctors who look at the underlying broken biochemistry and use a root cause evidence-based approach have a ton of success with those folks. And who listen. I think what's interesting, guys, if you're listening at home and you're thinking, like, wow, here's this amazing doctor with all this experience acknowledging that maybe I've been gaslit. Maybe people weren't listening to me. And maybe they told me it was a mental health issue when it was actually like my mitochondria, my cell membranes, inflammation. There's a ton of options for you guys. And we've given you a roadmap today. Dr. Anderson has. And I want him to tell you a little bit more. If this resonates with you, if you want more information like this, if you want to continue to learn from him, Dr. Anderson, let people know, where can they find you?
1: There is a hub website because I do both professional education and public facing stuff. The hub is just D-R-A-N-O-W, Dr. And it's being freshened up right now because, of course, everything on the internet changes all the time. But honestly speaking, the best resource all in one location of which the link is on there is my YouTube channel. And we have everywhere from shorts that are a minute long to 9 to 12 minute long to even some longer things. We've got some big playlists on lung COVID, big playlists on mast cell activation syndrome, big playlists on all sorts of other stuff. And that's probably the best place all in one. Those are also, like I say in the description, where I try and put links in for you to find other providers, because I realize that's the huge, huge impediment there. D-R-A-N-O-W dot com, any books I've written, all, all the stuff is on there. Like I say, they're freshening the site up, but it still works. It should be fine right there. If you're a healthcare provider, there's a website that is called consultdoctora.com, just consult, dot com. And that has a continuing education type material on it. I have now over 105 CE titles there. There's some that I've made free just because of COVID and the nervous system, which is super dense, but there, it's a good one. There's, there's some stuff that's free on there. There's a lot of searchable blogs where I've answered questions. ConsultDoctorA.com is more for the provider side, but really for patients. If you just want to sit down and hear this sort of a breakdown about why would chemical toxicities aggravate my fill-in-the-blank or why would I have no conditioning after long COVID and how do I get it back or things of that nature. That's probably the best place is the YouTube channel.
0: I want to thank you because YouTube is free and you have a lot of content on there, heavily researched content, content that had a lot of time and effort go into that. And I know that you did that out of the kindness of your heart It's one of the reasons I'm so grateful you're here is because of your heart. I know a lot of what you do is to help as many people as possible. I just want to thank you publicly for that. The last question I want to ask you, if you guys are still listening, I don't think you'd still be listening if this is what you thought, but some people are going to ask me, Kate, COVID's over. Why do I even have to care about this anymore? But Dr. Anderson, what would you say to that person who's thinking like, should I still be worried about this or should I still be thinking about this stuff?
1: I totally understand both ways of looking at that. I think simply from like the psychological zeitgeist of humanity, we want it to be over. Even if there was a forest fire outside your house, if it's been burning for three years, you don't care anymore. Here's the thing. Coronaviruses have been with us forever, pretty much. Thank God, things like SARS, the first one, and MERS didn't do what SARS-CoV-2 did because they were so rapidly deadly, they didn't spread as fast. SARS-CoV-2 had this escape velocity because it could get out and not let you know. And then you get all the weird stuff going on. On one hand, yes, there's a lot of commentators, a lot of my conservative MD friends on YouTube and stuff, and they don't mean COVID doesn't exist. They just say COVID's over. What they mean by that is the flu is still here. We will always have influenza. We will always have adenoviruses. We will always have other coronaviruses, whatever. Coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, in all of its lineages, will never leave the human population. From the point of view of it is now an endemic part of our world, it is over as a novel virus. Here is the best way I can say why that might be need a little bit more explanation. And that is that even my most conservative friends on the internet who say long COVID, obviously it exists, but we think it's not a medical entity. You ask them, what do you think it is then? What they will say is, it's just like any other post-viral syndrome we've ever had as humans. It's just got some unique characteristics because you can get the same thing with influenza you get the same thing with certain bacteria other stuff it is well known over doesn't mean we don't have problems with it it just means we're going to keep getting different variants it's going to mutate every year it's going to come around every year and we'll get the covid version for next year and this year and every other year our concern has to be take care of ourselves do the best we can to make ourselves a tiny target because we don't want next year's version of it to be the last straw to take us out. We want to be healthy so that doesn't happen. Or we don't want next year's version of a non-COVID illness to be the last straw and take us out, right? In a sense, yeah, it's over as a novel problem. It's now just part of the way that we live. We have always had post-infectious illness. We now are just much more sensitive to it. Just work on being the healthiest person you can that does not guarantee you're not going to get sick. It doesn't guarantee you're not going to have problems, but there's a way through it. All that stuff we talked about. If it does happen and you find that you're not getting better, and I was told to my chronically ill patients this during cold flu season, if everyone at the office gets the three or the four or the seven-day crud, great. If everyone else at the office is over the crud and you're a week later, you're not over the crud, we need to see each other right then because that's when we need to jump on knocking out why ever you got sicker than everyone else and get you back onto the road to health. Yeah, it's over in the sense of it's not a new thing. It's gonna be with us forever. It's always gonna be there, but it's not over in the sense that it has no impact on us as humans.
0: This whole talk today, we'll probably label this long COVID and how to heal. This is really about immune resilience and how to understand the way your cells work and your own immune system so that you can be as resilient as possible against whatever may come your way in the future. Thank you, Dr. Anderson, so much. We will have you back soon. Thanks a lot. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you loved today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? Our whole goal is bringing this education to the people who need it. And positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing and we so appreciate it. We'll catch you next time on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast.